If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. You put yourself in a really bleak situation and then you figure out, okay, how do we hold on to our humanity and hold on to our sanity? I still don't really understand how I Um, It can be powerful to play out current fears with your imagination. That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. I find it cathartic in a way that, you know, I don't find content writing. Um, You know, fiction has just kind of opened up, you know, a lot of doors to me. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Bestseller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Addendum 6. All the cool kids are doing it. What genre is it? If you're an editor selling a manuscript to a publishing house, that's likely the first question you'll hear. And if you're a self-published author trying to land an editor for your manuscript, that's probably the case too. And yet, it's almost never an easy question to answer. In modern writing, genre is a paradox. It can feel like stuffing your novel inside a box, but it's also crucial to figuring out how to market it and make sure it sells. Yet, take one look at the history of genre, and the contradictions start to make a little more sense. Over a century ago, genre barely existed. I mean, sure, Greek literature could always be classified as one of three styles, poetry, prose, or drama, and in the early 18th century, a few more qualifying terms sprung up, the novel or the romance, not to be confused with the romance novel. But it wasn't until the rise of mass market publishing in the late 19th century that genre as we know it today emerged when publishers began looking for better ways to tell readers what they were about to read. And so they came up with fantasy and sci-fi and adventure and mystery and gothic and thriller and so on and so forth. And very often these genres applied to those little pulpy novels known as mass market paperbacks were positioned opposite from more distinguished forms of writing like journalism and literary fiction. And even though literary fiction is literally a genre of fiction, the term genre fiction is often enough to drive critics and awards away from otherwise excellent books. That contradictory enough for you? It was. Perhaps the ire comes from the history of genre. After all, it evolved mostly as a way for publishers to turn books into products, and some of the very best and best-selling books defy genres. Take Harry Potter, for instance. What genre is it really? Fantasy? Drama? Coming of age? That classic amalgamation of adventure, horror, and romance known as the British boarding school story? 
It's hard to say, so people tend to just go with two letters. Y-A. Let's be clear. Young adult fiction isn't a genre, simply a broad categorization of fiction written for readers between the ages of 12 and 18, even though over half the world's YA readers are adult. And to be clear, it existed long before Harry Potter was first published in 1997. So-called children's novels carrying darker themes that appeal to older readers have existed for ages and include some of the greatest novels ever written, period. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Bell Jar, and, of course, that seminal adolescent handbook, The Catcher in the Rye. But before J.K. Rowling reintroduced the world to wizards, YA genres weren't that much of a thing. Back then, most young adult fiction was also considered literary fiction, and these days it's hard to group novels like The Outsiders, Lord of the Flies, and I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings in the same category as Twilight and The Hunger Games. The reason for this divide? Many point to Harry Potter itself. It was such a massive hit when it was first released that in the years between sequels, readers were clamoring for more of the same. Whether that meant mystical elements such as dragons, magic, and genies in YA fantasy, or simply children with exceptional schooling getting into mischief in contemporary YA. That's how it tends to happen. A book, usually one that's difficult to classify like Harry Potter, makes waves. Then other authors swim out to ride those waves. And figuring out how to quantify the novel's success by genre is very often the key to whether they sink or swim. But because of this simple reality of the publishing industry, genre can seem silly, restrictive, and sometimes enough to scare you away from writing fiction at all. And I still make my living as a freelance content writer, um, as well as do a little bit of journalism, so I, I juggle both. You know, I never really imagined myself writing fiction. I remember in school taking re creative writing classes and, and enjoying it, but not really feeling uh, called to do it. Which makes it all the more surprising when a nonfiction writer turns to genre fiction to tell stories about the real world. You know, I've always had this fascination with dystopian novels and the way that they kind of let us play out things that are happening in our society. That's Jackie Castle. She's the author of The Seclusion, a 2018 novel and Forward Indies Book of the Year winner. Uh, my name is Jackie Castle, and I'm a first-time author. My novel, The Seclusion, came out in September of 2018. Uh, before that, I have been a freelance writer for about 10 years, working on everything from copy editing to, um, you know, freelance blog posts, small business website content, and also a little bit of journalism here and there for some local publications. But despite her background in journalism, The Seclusion is a far cry from nonfiction. For a brief overview, The Seclusion is kind of a dystopian book that will appeal, appeal to readers of books like 1984, uh, Fahrenheit, 451. Um, you know, a little bit more, it was it was tailored, so it's also appropriate for YA audiences and people that like books like The Hunger Games uh, and Divergent. That's right. After 10 years spent writing about our world, Jackie Castle decided to pour all her time and resources into creating a new one. Why? What draws authors to building those depressive, oppressive worlds known as dystopias? And why do such sad worlds appeal to young adult audiences? To answer those questions, we've got to ask one more. What is dystopian fiction, anyways? Dystopian fiction is, in the grand scheme of things, a relatively recent genre. But it was born from one of the oldest there is. 
The word utopia was first coined by Sir Thomas More in his 16th century work of the same name, enigmatically resembling the Greek word for both the good place and no place. It, in essence, created the genre of utopian fiction, novels that take place in an ideal world. The genre encompasses classics such as Robinson Crusoe and Gulliver's Travels, but the most famous example of a fictional utopia actually predates the word itself, and it isn't entirely fictional either. I'm talking of course about Plato's Republic, an eerily prescient work from 380 BC presenting an unreachable ideal of society that greatly resembles the society many of us live in today. Now, obviously the society we live in today isn't ideal in a lot of ways, which makes the Republic prescient for another reason. It perfectly exemplifies how a world that might seem utopian in concept very often isn't in execution. Yet it wasn't until 1872 that this idea was formalized. In his novel Erewhon, Samuel Butler created a world where good and evil were flipped upside down, where criminals were given cures and the sick were prosecuted. It was, in every way, the antonym of utopian fiction. And yes, there's a word for that too. Can you guess what it is? Dystopian novels. Dystopian fiction, these days, is often spoken in the same breath as young adult fiction, with recent novels like The Hunger Games and Divergent fresh in most readers' minds. But the truth is, dystopian fiction, historically, has been primarily geared towards adult audiences, and the true classics of the genre are unapologetically dark and mature, such as 1984, Atlas Shrugged, The Handmaid's Tale, and Brave New World. In the young adult world, dystopias are only a trend. That may sound derogatory, but it's not. I mean it in the most literal sense of the word. Publishing is an industry, and industries go through waves of selling similar products to capitalize on the success of previous hits. Much like what happened with Harry Potter, when Stephanie Meyer published a smash hit like Twilight, editors became bloodthirsty for YA paranormal romance novels, and then authors started creating supply to meet the demand, and voila. A genre that had once only existed in the dusty corners of Tumblr became the biggest in the world. For a time, until a new YA smash hit came along and the whole process started over. In this case, that smash hit was none other than The Hunger Games. Suddenly, readers couldn't get enough of worlds run by oppressive governments and determined young people rebelling against the norm, and young people couldn't help but picture themselves in those heroes' shoes. In the years that followed, young adult and dystopian fiction were one and the same. And in the years that followed those years, the hype died down. Trust me, it happens to all trends. But that doesn't mean Jackie Castle is a trend chaser. Quite the opposite, in fact. She didn't start writing The Seclusion until the trend had all but petered out. So, during the 2016 election, I decided to just start give it a try and start writing Again, this kind of started as a short story, and then before I knew it, over about three months, I'd written about 60,000 words. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, and, and then I was like, you know, I might actually have something here. And so I backtracked and, and started kind of trying to polish it. And then before I knew it, I had a, a manuscript. It makes sense then, given where she came from, that her first fiction manuscript wasn't so different from nonfiction. 
If you were to read the story, no one, you know, in our current political climate is mentioned by name, really. It just, there's kind of echoes of, you know, what's happening now and how it could lead us uh, to that, you know, dystopian future. Um, And so there were things that we kind of, you know, tied to it. I did a lot of research about um, North Korea when I was writing this book. And so, you know, we are trying to paint this Um, idea of maybe America in the future, you know, becoming more and more secluded from the rest of the world. And what would what would that look like if, you know, building walls along our borders were just was just the first step in our our country, you know, becoming more and more separate from, you know, the rest of the world as they develop and innovate and and move on. And uh, what would that look like? In fact, in many ways, Jackie Castle in life embodied the typical why a dystopian protagonist. She was not content with the status quo, and she looked for tools to fight against it. You know, it's hard when you have had the the experience of working, you know, with a newsroom and working with people and just seeing how hard that they work and uh, how many rounds of fact-checking go into legitimate publications. And so for someone to kind of just dismiss that as, as oh, you, you must have been making that up, you know, that can hurt a little bit. Her tool, in this case, was writing. Uh, especially with journalism, you know, with that type of writing, you obviously uh, only stick to the facts, which is is great. Um, you want to make sure you're quoting people correctly, and you know, but there's not much room for imaginative play, and so the ability to invent these characters and let them go wherever you desire that they go or wherever they lead you, really just felt like it opened up, um, you know, a lot of creative ability that that uh, I didn't find in in nonfiction writing. And in the end, she found it absolutely liberating. You know, it was kind of liberating, I think. I think dystopian fiction in general for readers and writers and other writers of dystopian fiction that I've talked to, that it kind of gives the ability to be like, this is really concerning to me and I'm going to let my imagination kind of go towards where I could see this headed and, and follow this path and see where it might lead. And then also figure out, you know, what I might do if, if it got this dark. <laughs> That's the thing about dystopian fiction. It may be a genre characterized by world building, a genre that by definition is purely fictional, but ever since it's been a thing, dystopian fiction has served as a dark reflection of our own society. And I hope you didn't just now get the title of Black Mirror. Building a world of oppression and danger can be a way of warning the world about the path you think it's on, following our own fears to their logical conclusion. Yevgeny Zamyatin grew up during the rise of communist Russia. Then he published We, a novel about a dystopian totalitarian police state. Anthony Burgess grew up in the riotous Great Britain of the 60s, then published A Clockwork Orange, about a futuristic England with an extremely violent youth culture. For Jackie Castle, it served a similar purpose. That was definitely a big theme in the novel when I was writing it, was just what would the world look like if we couldn't trust any of the information that we received, or if we blindly trusted the information that we received, and that information was coming from one source, how would that change everything. Um, And so that is a major theme in the book is what would that look like if we kind of had a state-run media, um, you know, almost like Russia does or North Korea does. Um, What would happen if, you know, our everyday police officers were suddenly retrained as uh, immigration officers? What happens when the free press disappears completely? Um, And I think that 
that anyone, uh, regardless of your political leanings, can see the danger in that. That said, there is a learning curve to switching from nonfiction to fiction, especially when you're writing in a genre on the tail end of its trend. The fact of the matter is, once enough books are published, readers start to get wise to the tricks of the trade, and devices that might have once seemed fresh start to look stale. You know, we were really walking the line of how do we make this a cautionary tale, but also make it fiction uh, in a way that books kind of like 1984 really have this, you know, one of my, um, you know, passions is learning about what authors were going through when they wrote a certain book. And so how do we make this book, you know, have these echoes, but also make it a story that people connect to because of the characters um, and let the fiction speak also. Cautionary tales run rampant in dystopian and young adult fiction. Almost every dystopian novel ever written could be viewed as something of a cautionary tale, a political warning of what happens when a government gains too much power or a society collapses. And young adult novels, very often written by actual adults, have a history of warning children about the trials and tribulations of growing up. But these days, kids can see condescension coming from miles away, and no one who is actively growing up wants to read about all the mistakes they're bound to make and the lessons they should learn from them from someone who's already grown up. The trick is to create a realistic world with honest characters moving through life in the way a real young adult would move, and trust readers to get the rest from there. So in dystopian fiction, I think this is kind of a common thread, and that there's the story of the society. And, you know, maybe from the beginning of the book and the end of the book, uh, the society has changed a little bit, or maybe something becomes a little more hopeful, or there's this, you know, tweak where the reader is left thinking that, you know, there's a possibility for change. But then there's also the story of the individual character. And so I think that what you do with any book is you make readers connect with a person. Um, and so the biggest thing I did was was kind of show the readers, this world through this young woman's eyes. But even then, you've got to understand, not every genre is for everyone. Not everyone's going to like your stuff. Everyone has different genres that they read. I've had people that have absolutely loved the seclusion and others that it's just not their thing. They don't want to read a dystopian novel. They find it depressing and, you know, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of authors, you know, there's this shame around asking people to support them as if they're not offering people their artwork. And I think that we, there is kind of a divide between maybe the music industry or other industries. But right now, a lot of the marketing does fall onto authors just like it does in those other industries uh, to promote themselves. And so realizing that you're you're offering something, you're not just asking someone for a favor um, and, and really recognizing that and that the worst someone can say is no. And so if you go, you know, you go for it with kind of this open, it's OK if they say no, I'm just going to ask. Um, you know, and let people know that, that it's okay. It might not be their cup of tea. My book obviously is going to rub some people the wrong way. <laughs> um, I've done events where I kind of pitch it and people are like, oh yeah, no, that's not my thing. Um, and, and that's all right, but you're never going to know unless you ask. So how did Jackie Castle's debut book, a dystopian novel written by a nonfiction author for a young adult audience with a waning interest in the genre, go on to win a Forward Award and garner glowing reviews from outlets like Kirkus Reviews, The Young Folks, and our very own Readsy Discovery? That's the funny thing about genre. Trends come and go. Genres don't. 
And as for the specific reason why any given genre struck a chord with readers and got popular enough to become a trend in the first place, those will always be there too, waiting for the right author to tap into them. If you set out to write a dystopian book just because it's trendy with no real story behind it, it probably won't pan out for you like you think. But if the story you have inside you, the only one you dream of writing, happens to fall within a trend, or outside of it, that's perfectly okay too. For Jackie Castle, there was no other genre, not even journalistic nonfiction, in which she could tell her story about the real world quite like young adult dystopian fiction. I think that, and I think we see this a lot in real life, that people can write off things that they don't see happening in their front yard, um, and that when someone knows a real person that has been affected by something, that often they view it in a different light. Uh, and I think that right now we do have a lot, you know, one of our, one of the things right now that really concerns me is just this dehumanizing language that you hear thrown around, um, you know, about real people. And so... You know, I think that that sometimes it is shown that when someone, you know, instead of some talking about something happening to a group of people, showing one person's story um, and and really showing others the humanity of that person uh, can, you know, change hearts and minds. Brought to you by Readsy, this is Bestseller. Over the course of these addendums, we'll check in with a handful of indie authors to get their unique takes on the journey to self-publication. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our guest today was Jackie Castle. You can purchase her book, The Seclusion, on Amazon or on her website at JackieCastleWrites.com. That's J-A-C-Q-U-I CastleWrites.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at JCastleWrites. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Readsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Readsy on Instagram at Readsy underscore HQ, on Twitter at Readsy HQ, or online at R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. And please keep your eyes peeled for more Addendum episodes, as well as the premiere of our third season, coming soon to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice.